Hi, I am Christian Toivo, Executive Director of Telecom Infra Project, or TIP, as we call it in short form. When it comes to disaggregated uh, network technologies like Open RAN, uh, they are essential for taking forward what 5G is promising to bring to our industry. 5G in itself is super exciting technology, and despite there being some pessimism around, I am absolutely convinced that we are at an early stage of something that really will change the world. For RCR Wireless News, this is Sean Kinney, and welcome to Will 5G Change the World, the weekly podcast where we talk with a wide range of industry experts to answer that important question. But before we get into the 5G discussion, we like to get to know our guests a little bit better by posing three questions from the Proust questionnaire. You ready for those, Christian? Uh, Yes. Question one, what is the trait you most deplore in others? Well, uh, I am a big believer in teamwork and people cooperating across organizations within our industry. Uh, That means that uh, overly egocentric people, self-promotion, in my mind, doesn't have much space in this industry because anything is a team effort and the teams are the ones that make things happen. And in, in, in the role of now driving a community like TIP, which basically works for and with the help of the community members, it manifests itself so clearly. And question number two, what is your current state of mind? I'm currently very, very focused. I'm just back from our yearly uh, conference, Fuse, in Madrid, which gave a good summary of where the industry stands in terms of open and disaggregated technologies and particularly open RAN. There's a lot of actions from the meetings that were held with industry, government and other stakeholder representatives. And I'm really focused together with our team to take those actions forward. So it's a it's a positive focus. And question number three, Christian, when and where were you happiest? I am happiest at this particular moment uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, I've had the privilege and pleasure of working in a role in an industry that I love and in a role where together with a lot of smart, focused people, we I believe we are able to change and and accelerate uh, the technology adoption that will actually help changing the world. Uh, Additionally, on a personal note, uh, it's hard to say where because I'm constantly on the move, but uh, particularly I have an opportunity due to some recent family changes to have my grandchildren much closer to me than before and also can choose when and where I meet up and spend time with them. Uh, So that is really the moment I'm cherishing right now. So Christian, I'm excited to have you on the show to reflect a bit on the programming and conversations from Fuse in Madrid. Uh, Personally, for me, Open Ran, one of my favorite topics. Fuse, definitely one of my favorite shows every year. And I guess the big takeaway from me, based on the keynotes, the breakouts, and the conversations I had, is that Open RAN is ready. It's ready for scaled deployment. And that's something we can unpack a little bit more. But just high level, how would you distill the message out of Fuse for the people in our audience that weren't able to attend? Yeah, I, I think it I would I would say that this year in Fuse, we got a very 
kind of a comprehensive summary where the industry stands in terms of open RAN. There was actually less technology talk and more talk about how do we scale it. And for me, that is indeed the proof point that the technology is ready, at least for its first uh, volume deployment. I mean, technology in a way is never ready because it evolves, but there are no showstoppers, hinders, as we heard from those early deployers who demonstrated their KPIs being on par or sometimes even better than with existing traditional uh, RAN solutions. Also, there has been a alignment on standards, which kind of has removed some of those friction points that have um, made it kind of maybe difficult to see how the whole industry would would align and, and ensure that there would be enough of, of product choice available. So, so the focus really is now on, let's say, both how to, to get into volume deployments and what is needed really to kind of accelerate that. So the discussion was much more about impact of open and disaggregated solutions in, in an industry which is used to kind of a supply chain which is dominated by, let's say, an approach where you kind of purchase as much as possible from one source in order to kind of um, avoid over com overly complex um, uh, interactions, if you like. And that, of course, is one of the key topics for Open RAN. In an absurd way, once we've disaggregated, we actually have to aggregate again, meaning integrate the solution. And that's where there are different types of experiences, both from the early adopters who've done it themselves, meaning operators who've done a lot of that work themselves, or operators uh, like um, Rakuten or Entity Docomo who are actually packaging the solutions to be able to offer them also to others who would be interested in building on their experiences. Certainly also TIP itself uh, driving like a more of a community approach, to, uh, a, a community-based approach to enable integration and certification that would enable operators who don't have the full capability to do an end-to-end -end integration and testing themselves to start adopting Open RAN. But there are also things going beyond that, and that links to the whole operational transformation that is uh, associated with not just open and uh, disaggregated solutions, but also the cloudification. And that was something that I think we need to talk more about. How does adopting this type of technology really impact the whole ecosystem from the vendor community to certainly to the operators who are then building their business by using these technologies. There's there's more space for discussion. I think there's also more space for, uh, let's say, expertise and capabilities maybe offered from, from organizations and companies that are not yet that much engaged. Because in a way, this is uh, tracking what we have seen in the IT industry over the last 10 years, and we are approaching that same transformational moment in telecoms. So I, I do think there's a lot to learn and a lot to reuse. And these are the topics that I think we heard different angles um, from different people. And let's see how that evolves. I would say during the next 12 months leading up to next fuse, I think we will see a lot of progress and we will discuss then results and challenges when we meet next time. You made some interesting comments there. Um, you know, the goal is to scale open RAN deployments. We all know that RAN is a highly consolidated market that could stand for some diversification for a number of reasons. But 
I think it is important to acknowledge radio is a scale business to make it work. Sometimes incumbent vendors, legacy vendors do have a leg up just based on their ability to produce at volume. But to contextualize that for Fuse, one thing that really stood out to me was uh, Frederick Yedling from Ericsson joining the day one keynote to express their company's support for Open RAN. And this kind of harkens back to Fuse the year before, where we saw a sort of similar commentary from Nokia around Open RAN. So, you know, what's your analysis of this? I, I guess for me, buy-in from these two vendors could obviously catalyze the broader market, but there is that kind of balance between allowing for new market entrants to prosper while still getting over the the comfort and the familiarity of buying from Ericsson or Nokia. But just what do you think here? Yeah, no, that is a really, really good question and something worth reflecting on. Uh, and I think overall, I mean, this industry needs the um, combined capability, uh, creativity, and resources of all those players. So there's no way we can transform this industry and not have um, those two formidable companies that you mentioned part of that transformation for, for multiple reasons. One is that they have such reach, their technology is in operation everywhere in the world, but they also have capability and competence and experience that is needed when you scale up for, let's say, deployment of solutions that are different and also deal with that transformation we just referred to. And I think in this moment, when, when we also have now Ericsson clearly committing to Open RAN, following that uh, similar commitment from a year back from Nokia, I, I think that is a fundamental step, the impact of which we <clears throat> might not fully yet understand and, and see, see the consequences of. I think it's absolutely positive. Um, I think it uh, will give momentum, for example, just considering the installed base of technologies. Actually, Frederick referred to the, the large number of radios already installed by Ericsson that will be made uh, compatible through software um, upgrades to open RAN uh, architecture. And I think that will provide much more opportunity for the operators to choose kind of, a, I would say, a, a pragmatic approach on how to start evolving their networks. But I think it also means that it will be uh, interesting to see how in a new open architecture, new players, new vendors, and maybe even uh, smaller companies or startups with particular capabilities can, in a way, interact with some of these large vendors through open interfaces and maybe enhance the overall technology as it's evolving. So really good um, announcements. Of course, a lot of work re remains to be seen how that all plays together and, and the market will decide. That's obvious. This is not something that anybody is steering from, from above or from one, one angle, if you like. Another big focus of conversations at Fuse and, and more broadly just around Open RAN in general is, is the silicon piece. Uh, layer one processing is complicated and there's a number of ways to, to go about it. Uh, I think right now, a lot of conversation around inline, look aside, or as we've seen with Intel's latest generation of processors uh, integrated into the SOC. 
So I'm not asking you really to weigh in on what is the right choice because, you know, optionality is is just that. It's going to be up to the the buyer, the operator to to pick what's best for them. But maybe you could just give us some context around the sort of growing interest in ARM-based designs for layer one baseband processing against the backdrop of, of Intel and an x86 architecture as being, you know, firmly dominant in the, the VRAN slash open RAN market right now. Yeah, no, no, Sean, that was really an interesting uh, panel there at, at Fuse that I, I think a lot of the audience and maybe also those who are looking at it from, from not being there, but, um, but remotely will will obviously get some good contexting in that what I would call fairly complicated and, and challenging technology a domain of, of how you accelerate um, compute capabilities. And I certainly don't have any any personal opinion of what is the right or not right way of doing it thing doing it. I, I think in general, uh, there's still work to be done to make sure that we have the best possible, compute platforms for providing, let's say, the, the needed capabilities and in also in an efficient way and efficiency, particularly in terms of certainly TCO and cost, but also energy efficiency, which is absolutely critical in, in RAN. Uh, and hence comes to, to your first comment. I think there is always a need to have multiple options and different companies who are innovating having the possibility to kind of demonstrate what they are capable of providing. And, and I think we will see uh, continued debate and discussions and probably also various decisions to go with the one or the other technology, all with the purpose of uh, creating that optionality and ultimately understanding how, how that compute platform for VRAN or OpenRAN ultimately should evolve and probably there's not going to be just one way there's probably always going to be multiple ways maybe some ways that we are not even aware of as of now and telecoms being what it is this whole thing about portability of software is also essential so we, we need to make uh, keep in mind that it's not about the silicon or the chipset it's about that compute platform how that enables flexibility for the vendors who develop the software so they don't get a too costly uh, process that they have to follow when they evolve if their customers decide to choose the one or the other compute platform. I think I, I spoke actually yesterday with somebody about this topic um, and, and there was quite an interesting reflection that we jointly made that first of all, this issue about accelerating the compute platform development and looking for those efficiencies that certainly is not just uh, something that is relevant for telecoms it's equally relevant for a number of other domains maybe even more uh, looking at the whole evolution of, of uh, cloud technologies and the extreme amount of compute uh, power that is needed to run today's and tomorrow's applications on the cloud and not to mention uh, AI that is kind of going to drive, again, the similar type of uh, uh, technology evolution. So I think the conclusion of that discussion, which I kind of really reflected on, and which I believe is that this is not really a telecom-specific challenge. I think we need to make sure that telecoms is following and both benefiting from and participating in that uh, 
overall uh, evolution of how compute platforms become more efficient. Uh, and they have to become that in a way that it serves not just telecoms, but also other applications. Because in the same way, as you said, radio is a, is a volume business. So is uh, compute platforms, servers, and chips. So there needs to be volumes. So hence, I think we will both see, have a dependency and, and benefit from what's happening in other domains. The only thing conclusion one can make is going to be really interesting and exciting over the next couple of years how this evolves and it's kind of important we get a, get a number of you can say conclusions in the say short to mid term so we have let's say fairly good confidence that what we then start deploying at least in the first wave of volume deployment of, of open ran which I'm confident is going to happen in the next couple of years that we we are confident that the platforms that are then put in place have a reasonable life cycle. I mean, nothing lasts forever in 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 any industry, right? So there will be refresh and upgrades, but it needs to be something that takes us well into that first deployment wave. This podcast is brought to you by NetScout. NetScout Visibility Without Borders helps carrier service providers achieve pervasive monitoring in real time with actionable insights from anywhere, any service, any technology, any cloud, with any application, in any infrastructure, at every phase of the 5G lifecycle. That's pre-launch, launch, and operations. To learn more, visit www.netscout.com 5G. Now let's get back to the interview. So to this this first deployment wave, this first scaled deployment wave, and and to our conversation around the deployment readiness of Open RAN during Fuse, Vodafone announced that they were going to take to tender 170,000 sites, 30% of them Open RAN, so something like 50,000 sites, and that's just one operator. So I think that really does answer the question: Is Open RAN ready for prime time? Yes, but no one flipped a light switch. This has been six, seven years of very difficult, very methodical work doing interoperability testing and even certification and badging via TIP. We've seen a lot of back and forth on the integration piece. We've seen some operators serve as their own SI. We see some of them designate one of their vendors as the prime integrator. And you referenced what NTT and Rakuten are doing in terms of packaging blueprints and then kind of wholesaling the architecture, the technology and the integration deployment. So what's what's next now that we can kind of tick that off? Open RAN's ready to go. Does the focus maybe shift into, you referenced earlier, the automation capabilities that we can get in this cloud environment via the RAN intelligent controller? I just uh, trying to get an idea of, you know, maybe what will be some of the themes at Fuse next year around the RIC, around how to best foster this necessary ecosystem of XApp, RApp developers, and, and I think that would be both companies that we are all familiar with, as well as newer players that might have a very specific bit of domain expertise that's relevant to the RAN. Just uh, what are you thinking about all this? Yeah, no, I think, Sean, you really pointed at the right things. I mean, without at all um, underestimating the efforts of, of those still ongoing challenges to prepare for deployment in those different ways that you just uh, referred to. I think there are really two things that I would expect to be very much on the agenda 12 months from today when we hopefully get together in a similar event. Uh, one is certainly 
the RIC and not just the RIC and the XAPs. I think we already see now the you know the potential. We had some presentations and discussions both on main stage and in breakouts at Fuse about what you actually can do when you use that new architecture, but also how that then integrates with um, the existing what we call the brownfield network through the SMO concept, uh, service management operations, in such a way that at least some of those uh, fundamental, call it improvements that are possible to fuel through, for example, AI-driven applications that operate uh, on top of the RIC, that in some way at least can, for specific use cases, <clears throat> influence also some of those capabilities um, or settings, if you like, in the legacy um, RAN deployments. I think that's a fundamental, important topic. And coming back to one of the earlier uh, points we discussed, that's for, of course, why we need to also have those incumbent vendors strongly involved in this process, because to get that benefit of that new architecture, knowing the kind of long lead times of refresh and transformation in, in physical live networks, we will live for, I would say, at least 10 years with a combination of open RAN and traditional RAN and cloud RAN in various uh, kind of um, levels of, of maturity in multiple networks. So I think that whole piece on how you what you can demonstrate, what is the best you can do by using new architecture, but also how can you practically deploy it and benefit it, benefit from it at large scale for me is absolutely fundamental. And interestingly, that's something that is recognized. For example, we, we are working TIP together with nine other partners on a UK government funded initiative exactly to demonstrate how to kind of uh, industrialize RIC and Accepts our apps. Uh, also, I know from being here in the US, that's also something that is an upcoming interest for for the US government's uh, initiatives on promotion for open RAN, how to get attention on that side of things. The other thing, which is a bit of less glamorous, but even more important, is that when we now have those trailblazers that Ben mentioned, be it a Vodafone, be it Dish be it Entity, Docom, and Rakuten, who have had their own approaches on how to integrate and um, basically make open RAN deployment ready to really scale that on a global <clears throat> level. We need even, even further discussions on what is I would, what I would call the services supply chain, because any technology uh, of this kind and technology transformation of this um, uh, level needs not just the technology to work but actually organizations companies and people who are able then to work with it not just in developed markets but all over the world and to your last point automation is an absolutely essential piece of that because as many many people say in our industry i mean we are facing even a bigger transformation that um, the large amount of uh, staff that have been part of actually making telecommunications and mobile communication particularly successful is actually retiring in the coming years and there's not the staff to replace them and i think it's the opportunity and necessity to actually bring in automation at large scale and of course open ran is kind of with its open interfaces and potentially 
providing the observability needed for automation is that's one of the reasons that I believe we might see even a faster deployment as we go down the road of the, the deployment cycle. And so the last question I have here, Christian, you know, TIP's been around since 2016, very material progress in, in that time frame. And you've been in your seat, I think, uh, around 18 months. So I'm just curious, you know, I think Open RAN will eventually be mainstream. I think it will be the default architecture. I struggle to guess at the time horizon, but just from tip perspective, how do you see the vision mission of the organization evolving and maybe expanding purview as Open RAN does kind of reach that inflection point where it does become mainstream? Yeah. No, that's really a good question that uh, maybe sometimes I should think more about because of <laughs> being in the middle and having that focus I referred to earlier. It's kind of some hard to stop and, and reflect on the on the longer term. Uh, I would say the following that tip as far as I can see it and assess it is coming from a situation where it has evolved as part of technology. Now, obviously, Open RAN being uh, one of the largest or, or if not the largest um, kind of uh, technology domain that we are working on. Of course, we're working also on other stuff like uh, transport networks and open Wi-Fi, which have the similar type of trajectories, but with, let's say, less complexity. And we are somewhat further down the road in, in adoption and deployment. But we are coming from a lot of focus on technology. That has been the case in all of these uh, domains. And TIP has played a role in almost like creating market awareness, uh, fostering initiatives, early uh, demonstrations, trials. And we are now in all of these technologies uh, focusing on how we can enable that uh, larger scale, call it industrialization and potentially globalization. I think particularly in the case of Open RAN, that globalization will take a number of years because of just inherent cycles in um, investment um, of uh, of the types that RAN networks uh, are. And I think we will be very busy for the next um, three, four years in evolving and hopefully providing uh, some support and key kind of capabilities to kind of foster that and hopefully accelerate that. We are also looking at, um, in the meanwhile, as I mentioned earlier, the technology will keep on evolving. We, we already talked about the compute platforms, but also... A key topic at Fuse this year was, for example, how will AI impact telecom networks, not just open RAN, but networks in general. That's a topic that TIP will, uh, in, together with its community, start, start looking at. So I do think there will be new kind of more technology innovation focused um, activities that are going to take um, some, some uh, focus or need some focus uh, in the work of the community. But at the same time, this is a community effort, and uh, there is no there is no kind of decided end game. This is a, a project, a telecom infra project uh, that has a purpose to kind of make this open and disaggregated uh, connectivity happen. And as I said, I believe there's quite some years left to do that. Let's see what the community decides and uh, where it wants to go, and we will obviously adapt to to their needs and their priorities. 
Well, Christian, I know you're busy there in Washington, D.C., spreading the message of, of TIP and of Open RAN. And I think the next stop for you is India. So I'm, I'm glad you're energized. I'm glad you're focused. And I'm very appreciative that you took the time to come on the show, share your perspective with my audience and answer that question. Will 5G change the world? And it will. <laughs>